Welcome, folks, to episode 3195 of the Survival Podcast, as far as Bitcoin breakout episodes, episode 25. So uh, I don't have a guest today, and I'm not sure exactly how that happened. Um, we didn't lose anybody or anything. Dorothy just didn't have anybody booked today. And I think I told her like several weeks ago to go ahead and leave me a week open, but I, I don't remember that. I've had a lot going on lately. Uh, and then so when this uh, hole in the schedule came up, whatever reason I said to leave me an open week, I, I forgot what it was. And I'm like, well, what are we going to talk about as far as Bitcoin goes today? And I thought about something I've been saying a lot lately to people. And that is that, that it will never be easier than it is right now to stack sats or to accumulate Bitcoin. Sats being Satoshi's the smallest unit of Bitcoin. Of course, I should pay homage to yesterday was White Paper Day, the anniversary of the Bitcoin white paper being put out by Satoshi, whoever he, she, they was. And uh, I found it interesting. There's a little thing that happened yesterday. So Gary Gensler on Twitter said, you know, happy 14th anniversary to the uh, Bitcoin white paper. And, uh, hey, you know, we should make sure that in 2023, we finally give consumers the protection they need under uh, the banner of crypto. And I responded to Gary Gensler. And I said, you know who else says that you have to pay for protection you didn't ask for and takes money from you against your will to provide you protection? Call that the mafia. And by the way, Bitcoin was invented by Satoshi, so we wouldn't need your protection. And, you know, you only can say so much in Twitter because you have a character limit. But my other side of that was do whatever you want with crypto. Do whatever you want with it. But Bitcoin's not crypto in that generic sense. Bitcoin's its own thing. Bitcoin is specifically designed so that you don't need somebody to protect you. It is, it is enforced security by voluntary participation. So we're not going to dig too deep into that today, but I just, when I thought about the fact that it was the white paper day, I, I wanted to, to talk about that. But stacking sats being easier now than it will ever be again. There's a problem when you say that for people. Well, man, you know, it was much easier to stack sats and like, 2008 or nine, man, you could just buy it from somebody on the forum. No, no, actually it was harder because there weren't all these easy ways to buy Bitcoin back then. There weren't exchanges and things like that, but it doesn't matter. Let's say it was easier. There'll never be a time that will be easier than right now, i.e. this point forward. And for those that are maybe new to this, what we're talking about today isn't today. I know somebody might see a headline like that or whatever, and I don't do clickbait, but it might come off clickbaity as in, you better buy your Bitcoin today. No, I'm actually talking about we're in the middle of a halving. If you don't know what a halving is, don't worry. Um, but we have about two years, it's really a year and a half in this, this, this second side of the halving coming up to the supply shock that I'll explain to you in a bit. And this is traditionally what happens, and you end up in a state where the price is suppressed, Buying pressure goes down, and you can accumulate until you come into that next cycle, and then the next cycle repeats. And when it comes down the other side, it never comes to where you were here. 
And so it won't be any easier. Plus, we have all these different ways to stack sats today. I'm going to talk a little bit toward the end today about things like the Fountain app and the Fold app and things like that. And how even if those things are around 10 years from now, they ain't going to accumulate sats for you the way that they do today. I'll even show you some recent uh, sat stacking that I've done without having to buy Bitcoin. And explain to you why this is such a golden opportunity. And we'll, we'll talk about all that in just a minute. Before we do, let's talk about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is me. That's right, the TSP Swag Shop. Um, I just wanted to point out I'm wearing this really cool shirt today. Here's a different version of it up on your screen if you're watching it. But the shirt says, bring back seventh generational thinking. That's why I love Bitcoin. It makes you think about future generations. This is another version of the same shirt with the Val logo with the the, the lightning eyes and the Bitcoin logo on the front. And I actually prefer this version of the shirt, but I figured if I wore the one that has the, uh, the larger design on the, on the front today, y'all can see it through the whole episode. But you see this version has the, uh, bring back seventh generational thinking on the back comes in two colors. Really great shirts. I definitely uh, recommend that you check out the TSP swag shop. That's at tspswag.com. We got lots of cool stuff like these new tumblers that we have. Uh, that are made by Polar Camel, really high quality, great looking, long lasting. Everybody that's got one tells me that they love it. Uh, sponsor day number two today is JM Bullion. Now, a lot of times when I talk about Bitcoin, I get the people that are like, you know, I believe in silver and gold, man. Well, I'm not one of these people that's puritanical on anything. I'm a prepper and I come from a place of two is one and one is none. And so, and that three is for me and four is even more and five keeps you alive. And I like having options. I stack sats, I stack silver, and I stack gold. And I think they all play different roles. I think silver and gold's day in the sun is a U.S. or a, a global monetary instrument, as in money to be set from one place. That, that's long sailed. But they're still excellent, valuable property. And I won't say much more about that today because we're going to talk about that as it relates to Bitcoin today as well. And so I definitely believe in stacking silver and gold, and I don't believe in overpaying for silver and gold. That's why I like Jam Bullion. been working with these guys for like 12 years now. Uh, excellent company. No problems ever as far as you know getting things taken care of if there is a hiccup or something like that. They do a discount for my members. Uh, better pricing than Monix and Atmex and Lear Capital. Check them out today, jmbullion.com. All right, with that, let's go, and uh, Hunter is saying in the chat here, by the way, heck, you can play games for sats. I, I don't do that. I'm not a gamer, but I know you can. That will actually kind of come up in a sort of roundabout way today because Zebedee is, well, I think, a place you can do that, and they're constantly advertising on Fountain. So by listening to their ads, you know, I earn a few sats. And so there's tons of ways that you can stack sats right now. But what I want to come out of the gate with is we're going to talk about the having. And if you are a person that understands the having and you could explain what I'm about to explain, don't tune out because I'm going to, I'm going to pull it in something you probably haven't really thought about before unless you read like, uh, Gigi's, uh, articles or something like that at that higher level of thinking. So the having cycle is one of the ways that we enforce scarcity in Bitcoin. You see, there's a, a a term that people throw around that are like the anti-Bitcoiners, the no-coiners, and that is um, artificial scarcity. If Bitcoin is an artificially scarce thing, it's not really scarce, it's artificially scarce. No, it's an enforced scarcity. 
There's an entire system, a math-based system, that was laid down in code by Satoshi, and it is enforced by mining, by all the people that run their own nodes and verify that all the blockchain is the way that it's supposed to be, by the cost of energy, and by the issuance schedule and how it interacts with something called the halving. And so an artificial scarcity would be we can have more anytime we want, but we've created a fake scarcity. That's fiat. So fiat, we think of, you don't think of fiat as being scarce because we you know measure it in the trillions today. But it is scarce in that you can't just go down to your basement and printer go burr and make a bunch of new fiat bills and start spending them. They call that county counterfeiting and they put you under the jail for it. But there actually can be more dollars, whether they're physical paper dollars or electronic dollars at any time that the Federal Reserve and the banking system and the United States government in collaboration choose to make more money. So it's an artificial scarcity. And while that is really hard to get your head around today, you know, roll the clock back to where it's pure fiat. There's no gold back at all. 1980. And look at the M3 monetary supply at that point where you still get your head around the total number of dollars. And you can then at that point look at it and go, yeah, there was an artificial scarcity. And it was shown to be artificial by the growth in the M3. That's a total monetary supply between 1980 and 2022. So somebody else has this, this control valve. Then you have artificial scarcity. Nobody can make more Bitcoin. And, and the primary means by that, again, is through something called the halving. And so every four years, the amount of Bitcoin being produced is cut in half. And that's happened, I think we're in the third epoch, the third uh, cycle of this now, and, and it has has done a very consistent pattern through these cycles. And right now, the current block reward is 6.25 Bitcoin. So if you're a miner or a mining pool and you hit a block, and there's about one block every 10 minutes that verifies all the transactions, you're given a reward. You're not just earning money on fees. In fact, most of the money miners earn today is actually on creating new Bitcoin that gets issued into the blockchain. They actually receive it. They can hold it. They can sell it. They can trade it, what have you. And it's 6.25 Bitcoin right now. And that ends up being about 328,500 Bitcoin a year. So right now, between the 1st of January to the end of this year, there's a bit over 328,000 Bitcoin that were created and released to the world one way or another. Again, miners can hodl them and hold on to them and not sell them, but a lot of instances, miners are selling Bitcoin because they have to pay, at least some of it, because they have to pay expenses. So there's this constant flow of new Bitcoin. So we say it's deflationary, but it's actually very slightly inflationary in that there's more Bitcoin every year. Now, in the first cycle, the amount, I don't remember what the block reward, but it was huge. It was something like, I think in the first cycle, something like 60%, don't string me up if I'm wrong, but a very large number of all the Bitcoin that would ever be came out in the first, they call it epoch. And then we went through another, and, and then we're into our third now. And so about May the 1st, 2024, we will hit that point. Again, it's hard-coded. May 1st, 2024, so not next year. So there's a lot of time in this yet. We'll hit that next halving point. And then the total number of new Bitcoin will go to about 164,250 per year, or... 
3.125, I'm sorry, 3.125 block reward. So now you win a block, you get 3.125 Bitcoin versus 6.25 Bitcoin. Now, start to think about what that means. And this is what it's meant in the past. <sighs> really small things in the last cycle, in the middle of this situation, set Bitcoin up to $69,000. So all people want to talk about now that are negative on Bitcoin is, well, it crashed from $69,000. Well, how long was it there? And, and not very long. They spent a lot more time in the 40s than in the 50s and a lot more time in the 50s than the 60s. Those of us who've been around for a few of these cycles now, we're, we're, not, we're not exactly surprised that this happened. The actual bottom, historically speaking, in this cycle should have been by math, by technical analysis, about 14,000. So we never got there. Now, I also believe that as we go across time, volatility decreases. We have uh, lower all-time highs and higher all-time lows, right, or, or cycle lows. So maybe we don't get there, but maybe we do. We have a long time before this next halving occurs. And when people say something like, oh, but it crashed, Though, again, those of us who've been in the industry a while, we're always like, you know, gee, where have I heard this before? We've seen it crash, and then we've seen it crash, and we've seen it crash. But all we've watched is it stair-step its way up across time. The moving average does nothing but go up. If you if you look at it across a annual moving average, it's pretty much a linear increase across time. And that's because there is this enforced scarcity and what happens in the cycle I'll get to in a second. I want to cover a few other things. Um, we always have this fallback over and over again. And it's been incredibly predictable. It really has. Now, predictability, I don't mean predictability in what it's going to do this week or today or whatever. Anybody that was that good at that predictability is making so much money, they don't have time to talk to you on a podcast. These people that say they have the way to trade and make you know a million dollars a week or whatever, no, they don't. Because if I was making a million dollars a week trading, I'd probably do that for about 50 weeks. Then I'd go buy Jackistan. I'd tell you all guys to all F off. I wouldn't even waste my time being on, on a computer. I certainly wouldn't be trying to sell you a, a program for $299 if I was making a million dollars a month or a million dollars a week trading anything. Right? So just stay away from people like that. But predictable across a four-year cycle. It's been as predictable as anything can possibly be that's dynamic in nature. And you have to understand the, the psychology of what's going on. The psychology is causing a lot of people to act completely irrationally at the peak of that cycle. And But the, each one of those peaks is creating more and more people that act rationally. So what the cycle itself creates is people sit here right now and go, yeah, it crashed. I didn't mean to buy Bitcoin. I don't want to buy Bitcoin. Look, it's, it's tulip mania or whatever nonsense they come up with. And then you'll go into this next cycle. All of a sudden, the new issuance of coinage will be cut in half. A little bit of good news happens. A tiny little buying pressure starts, and we start another massive upward trend. And then what happens is people like me, people like me, start getting phone calls, emails, and text messages. 
from people that we've talked to about this for years. How do I buy Bitcoin? How do I buy Bitcoin? Elon Musk said the word Bitcoin. How do I buy Bitcoin? And usually at that point, we're kind of like, well, um, I can help you with that. But really, you should go slow and don't don't go too fast, like ease into this. We're in this cycle. We've been in this before. No one knows exactly where the top or bottom is, but they're like freaking out. So they all start buying and they buy and they buy and they buy and they buy. And they chase it all the way up to the top. And when it's getting close to the top of a cycle, most of us are going, yeah, it could blow off. Like I thought maybe it was going to blow off to 100 grand last time. But I was also like, it might not because we've seen this before. So then they've bought this Bitcoin. And a lot of times these people have bought a few thousand bucks worth, right? And then the, the crypto, what they call crypto winter comes. And we get this correction because all of the new freak out money coming in stops. People, you know, they shake whatever metaphorical change they can get out of their cushions and they buy, 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 buy. And then at the same time, institutional investors and traders, not necessarily day traders, but traders that know this cycle's coming, they will leverage in before the momentum really kicks over. And at some point, you get a variety of different forms of profit taking where, you know, I bought in at $14,000 or $10,000 and this shit's selling for sixty grand. That's a pretty big increase. And so people dump. They dump because it's just a profit model for them and they don't care. They dump because they're leveraged in that position. I mean, they borrowed money to make the buy and they need to close the position before the debt overrides them and they can't afford to risk the price coming back down. That's another reason. But there's also a third reason. And a lot of people get shit from other Bitcoiners for selling. I would never give anybody shit for this. Let's imagine that you had somebody that I don't care how they ended up doing it, but they got their hands on 20 Bitcoin. Let's say the next cycle initiates and Bitcoin goes up to a million, not a million, I'm sorry, $100,000 a coin. And I think in the next cycle, if you hit 100,000, you're going through that number. But they just say, well, wait, wait a minute, wait. I have $2 million worth of Bitcoin. And this is a person that's never had any real money in their life. Tell me it's not very tempting for that person to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell 10 Bitcoins and I'm a freaking millionaire. And I still have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. And so there's a lot of people that, like, if they get into a life-changing profit, will capitulate and sell off at least part of that profit to lock it in. And they aren't going to ride the roller coaster with that half. Some would look at it and say, two million bucks, I never have to work again for the rest of my life. Maybe they're wrong about it, but that's how they feel. So they, they do, so there's all of this various forms of profit taking, rational and irrational profit taking, in the, the, as you get toward the peak of the cycle. Once that sells into that cycle, you start to have the, the supply shortage begins to get mitigated by the number of people willing to sell. Then, then the price begins to come down. It always looks like it's going to stabilize. So it looked very much like it was going to stabilize in the 30s or 40s or high 20s. It always looks like it's going to do that. And it kind of hangs out there and drops and comes back up and drops and comes back up and drops and comes back up. And then poof, it'll find a bottom. It'll find a bottom somewhere about mid-cycle. We're a little past mid-cycle, by the way. Okay, into that next four-year turning. And it'll hit there. And at that point, you have a lot of people that won't touch it. And at the same time, you have a lot of people who are like, oh, man, 
oh, man, my uncle told me I was stupid. It's going to go to zero. So you have all these people that are dumping it, dumping it in this, in this, in this valley. Okay. They're dumping what they have. There's less buying pressure. People are, and anybody selling at that point is generally willing to take whatever the market gives. They're selling market orders. They're not selling limit orders, right? Except for your traders who are always doing something. And this just happens over and over and over and over again, right? And so then you get people that are also in that position and something bad happens in their life and they have a lot of wealth there and they're spending it. You, I, I see it happen with people that I'm friends with. I have certain people that I do business deals with and one has a particularly large amount of Bitcoin now. And when he owes me money, he always wants to pay me in Bitcoin and I always refuse to take it. And it's because I know he's on the downside of that trade and I don't want to take from him. I'm like, just let that shit sit there. I put money in the caboose. You, you pay me and I'll buy Bitcoin if I want it. That's probably not the best thing for me, but it's, I, I value the relationship and I don't want him spending Bitcoin unless he actually has to. So there's also this irrational mindset. Well, my Bitcoin went down, so I have to sell it. Why? Now, again, if you need a cancer operation, you lose your job, you're about to get your house foreclosed on, those sales make sense. But most of the selling in the, in this trough of the mid-cycle of the market are people who are selling for irrational reasons. It doesn't make any sense. So what we end up with is a huge portion of the people participating in the Bitcoin economy who have not switched on to the real reason to do this, and all they're thinking is, number go up, me get rich do the exact opposite of what rational trading would be. Rational trading is what? We buy low and sell high. So there's this huge block of people that buy high and sell low. So how do we get out of that? How do we come into that next point with that next supply shock and reach a new all-time high and stair-step up the bottoms at the same time? How does that happen? Well, every cycle, new long-term holders are born. And once a person makes it through one of these cycles and we go into the next one, they're just like seen it before, not worried about it. And so more and more of the Bitcoin across time gets locked up by people that will not sell and will not spend at least the Bitcoin that they've put over here in their long-term bucket. There are people like they're trying to live on Bitcoin, get to zero on fiat, whatever. And even those people, especially those people, When they say this is in my savings, they freaking mean it, right? That like that is locked up Bitcoin. And there's a certain portion that they're sweeping capital into every month. And the number of people doing that keep growing. And you're in a situation where you only have 21 million units that will ever exist between now and I think it's like 2140. And so as that occurs and you come into that next cycle, there's a whole bunch of people that will not sell. They'll buy, but they won't sell. And those people generally are buying all through these periods. And it's like a, if, if vaccines work the way they said, each cycle is like a booster shot. And your immunity to be irrational in the market and sell Bitcoin when you shouldn't or you don't need to. And it plays hugely on the psychology. And that's why right now it won't get any better than it is right now. You will not get more Bitcoin 
for the dollar, more sats for the dollar, aggregate averaged out between now and the end and the beginning of the next cycle. So I'm not saying that next week a dollar might not buy you more Bitcoin. I'm not saying that in January a dollar might not buy you more Bitcoin. I'm not saying that we might not see a bottom in the 14K range. I'm saying if you start stacking sats today or continue stacking sats, hopefully, between now and May 1st, 2024, across that period of time, there will never be a time that will work out better for you than it will right now. So all of you that are like, I think, I think I missed out on the opportunity. Guys, we heard that when Bitcoin was $100. We heard that when Bitcoin was $300. We heard that when Bitcoin was uh, $600. We heard that when Bitcoin was $1,100. We heard that when Bitcoin was $3,500. We heard that when Bitcoin was $7,500. We heard, we sold, we heard this. We heard this over and over and over again. And some of us are just, we're, we're done. And that again is how long have you been in this? And because that number of people, like right now, the number of Bitcoin addresses that have had no Bitcoin go, maybe come, come on, but no Bitcoins left them in a year is at an all time high in a winter, a crypto, a Bitcoin winter. This is usually when you actually, like you shouldn't. This is usually when you see. So we are in a position where the currency itself, Bitcoin is a thing. Bitcoin is digital property, is maturing. And the, the primary people holding on to it have switched on to the idea, my plan as to when to sell Bitcoin is never. And in understanding that a, a holding property that is an enforced scarcity across time used as collateral is an incredibly valuable thing, especially when the storage of that property or the maintenance of that property, the possession of that property has no cost. I, I, I said before, two is one, one is none. I like silver and gold. I like Bitcoin. I like some cash. I like some equities. I like some real estate. But almost every other form of property has a cost associated with it. If you have real estate, You have upkeep, you have taxes. If you're holding gold, there's a cost of any significant value. There's a cost of securing that gold. If you're holding fiat, it's designed to devalue across time. Inflation is your cost of holding money, plus your risk of holding it in the bank. You can only hold so much or do so much with cash. So Bitcoin literally has no tax implications until you sell it or spend it. And a zero cost of storage. You can put Bitcoin into cold storage. That does not mean in your freezer. And you can store it for 10 years and your cost is zero. The energy grid and all that. No, that's the, the miners suffer in downturns for your ability to store your Bitcoin for zero cost. And so if we have a zero cost digital asset that can be leveraged as collateral in the form of debt, effectively what that allows you to do, this is really important to understand. If you can borrow very small percentage of your Bitcoin across time and pay it back in, a, in an inflationary currency of dollars, once you stack enough Bitcoin, you can do that forever. You'll die before you ever screw up that plan. And it doesn't have to be Bitcoin still getting 200% gains per annual. It could be Bitcoin getting an aggregate average gain of 15, 20%. And starting out with a very small increment that you leveraged into debt against fiat.
And so when you start looking at that, you realize this is the game that millionaires and billionaires have been playing for centuries with real estate and other forms of property. And you have a piece of a form of property that works better for it. Then you get to a point where you realize like selling is stupid. Selling is stupid because I can generate cash flow without selling with a debt that devalues itself across time. That's the Michael Seller formula that he keeps talking about. And it will be possible with what seems like a ridiculously small amount of Bitcoin right now to be able to do something like that. It's not an insignificant amount of dollars, but it's, it, 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 I'm telling you, people that hold one full Bitcoin or more within a decade at the most, I would say, will be among the wealthiest people on the planet. That doesn't mean they're all going to be Jeff Bezos's. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to buy jackets down with one Bitcoin or whatever. It just means when you, when you start looking at like what's the top 5% of people on the planet, people that don't want Bitcoin will generally be in that category. And it's very hard for people to get their head around that because this doesn't seem like it should be. The problem Bitcoin has is when you actually, as you begin to actually understand it, it seems too good. It can't be. Or if it is, then they'll take it away. The problem with trying to take away a monetary network that's open source and decentralized is wealth will always gravitate to a system like that through a form of Gresham's Law. And Gresham's Law, for instance, is why in 1965 people began to pull all the silver coins out of circulation when they stopped making uh, dimes and quarters and 50 cents pieces out of 90% silver. To where today, you, 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 technically, a dime that is a nickel, nickel clad, uh, uh, dime, right? Or a silver dime, 1964 or earlier, are technically in face value, according to the fiat monetary system, equivalent in value. But you can sell the dime for, I don't know, a couple bucks as junk silver. And you don't find hardly any of them anymore. Some of you guys are old enough. That one occasionally one gets in and so it, tell me in the chat here if this is you. Somebody has a handful of change, nickels, dimes, quarters, et cetera, right? And there's one silver, like a silver dime or a silver quarter in there. And when they, when they move the, the, the change in their hand, you go, Oh, and you hear it and you're like, that shit, there's a silver coin in there. I know I can hear it. I mean, I hear it almost instantly. Here's a cool thing, too. This is actually really cool. Um, not a lot of money in this, but it's, it's an interesting thing because it is how fiat becomes so inflationary that you actually can't afford to make it under its original materials anymore. Many people know in 1964, 1965, that bridge that we left the silver system. But in 1982, the United States left another metallic monetary-backed system. In pennies. If you have a, a penny from 1981 all the way back to the first, like, wheat pennies and all, it's made almost 100% from copper. I don't remember if it's 95 or whatever, but it's mostly copper. It might be 100%. It's not that important to me. I don't pay that much attention, right? But it's, it's almost all copper. And in 1982, about halfway through the year, we had a penny shortage. I actually remember I was in, like, first grade or second grade or something, and they had, we had, they had kids bringing pennies in to learn how to open a bank account just to get more pennies back into the banking system because it got too expensive 
to make a penny out of copper anymore. So the middle of the year, the mint started making pennies out of zinc with copper cladding. And then from 1982 forward, every penny you ever see is zinc in the core with a copper cladding around it. Now, this is the cool thing. Totally not a Bitcoin topic, but this is, I think this is cool anyway. And you guys, most of you are going to try this. If you get a 1982 penny, you won't be able to look at it and tell if it was the first half of the year or second half of the year coin. If you take it and you flip it, like you flip a coin, but you do it so that your thumbnail kind of pops it and makes a ping, you can tell by the ping a zinc one from a copper one. And all you have to do to develop your ear for it, okay, is get like a 1970s penny and do the ding and then get a new one. And as soon as you hear it, you'll be able to, if you wanted to, you could sort any 82 into zinc or copper. I think it's an interesting thing. Like the way we're moving forward with our monetary system, there won't be an old man my age that knows that story 50 years from now. And I'm 50, by the way. Like all of this knowledge is going to go away if we don't preserve it so that people understand how fiat fails. And there is nothing that makes you stronger in your conviction with Bitcoin than a full, deep, and complete understanding of the fiat monetary system. Well, let's, let's get back to why it's, uh, it, it's the time to do this. Again, every cycle, the number of people who become converted to the real world of Bitcoin that say, I am going to always be buying what I can afford to buy in Bitcoin – I'm always going to be laying it up, and I'm never giving up my Bitcoin unless, like I said, I need a heart transplant or something. I'm going to die. That number of people grows while the supply shock hits. And you have to think about the supply shock. So right now we're in a recession, and I would say part of the world is in a depression. People can't afford food in a lot of situations. We have uh, concerns about our fuel supply. I do think that when they say there's only 25 days of diesel left, those of you that made the earlier discussion had with John and Nicole today, you know why that's actually a bullshit number. But it's still like it's a problem. It's still it's still a problem, right? We have all, like this is not a good time economically, and no matter how hard the Brandon administration tries to spin that this is a good economic time, it's not. The stock market's kind of shit in a brick. Right. Big tech got its ass handed to it in this quarter, if you've been paying attention to that. And Bitcoin keeps crashing from 19 from 20,000 to 19,000. Every time I log on to Twitter, I get all excited. See, people like, well, what are you going to do if it goes down to nine? I'm going to buy more, dumbass. That's what I'm going to do. Right. I, like, I'm not kidding when I say this. Like the more it goes down, the more I'll buy, the more it goes up, the more I'll buy. But I'll, I'll see, like, on Bitcoin Twitter, Bitcoin crashed again. I'm like, oh, man, it's about 17, 16 grand. And I get on there, and it's like 18, 8. What the hell are you people talking about? And so what makes that important is this isn't just a crypto winner. This is a bad economy. And you've got Bitcoin performing right now in some ways like a stable coin. It's, it's very stable, you know. High 17, if you're lucky, you get to buy some. Up to about 22, and then most of the time, 18, 19,000. Just go look at the graph. Very, very flat right now. So what do you think that means 
if you're able to maintain about $20,000 of Bitcoin in all this shit, and then that has $328,000 per annuum new issuance, and then in one moment, on one day, it goes, bam, $168,500. Well, there's just not enough to fill all the orders, and the whole cycle begins again. And the next cycle, just like the last cycle, will not return to a point where you'll have the opportunity for time. Everybody focuses on the high and low. This one is stupid. What you need to focus on in each cycle, and I challenge you to go look at this, and I'm going to bring up a uh, a screen for those that are in the uh, live feed here in a second. But what you want to look at in each cycle is the flat trough, right? Where was the trough? So people will say that in the last cycle, you know, Bitcoin got up to like 13,000 and it's only at, you know, 19,000 now. But this was the trough here. This was the trough. This was the opportunity. Now, see that right there? For those that are looking, we got down to like 3,500 bucks. That was a super low and that didn't last very long. This was the trough right here. This was your accumulation zone, which was about 7,000 to 8,000 bucks on average. And that even comes back here on the back side of the other peak. That was your accumulation zone. You're in your trough right now. This is the accumulation period. This is the time where if you, and again, I, I challenge people looking at this graph. This is Bitcoin since its inception. It pretty much goes one direction, doesn't it? You're not too worried about this if you've, if you've taken this right here to heart and when in doubt, you zoomed out. You can see another big giant crash right here. Here was your trough. This is your accumulation zone. This is where you want to be buying consistently across time. That's where you are. And the reason it will ever get easier than it is right now is because the next trough will not be this low. Again, it's not that somewhere in this trough you might not get one of those big divots. And if you do, that's when you buy harder. Instead of cry harder, buy harder. But it's not what's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen all over again exactly the way that it happened last time. We're going to get into approaching the halving. The speculation begins to force the price up a little bit. The actual halving comes. The full realization of, of, of the supply shock hits about a month or two into it. Shit starts to go parabolic. Some really good piece of news comes out. Some big-name asshole tweets about it, whatever. It goes, it goes starts to really run away. And my phone and my email and my DMs are going to blow up again. And all these people are going to come back. And how do I buy Bitcoin? And the whole cycle will complete, continue to go over and over and over again. And then you'll talk to people when we're in the next trough. And I'm an even older man. It's about six years out. And they'll be sitting right there going, I don't know, Bitcoin crashed to like $90,000. That's not a price prediction. It's just a possibility, for instance. And they won't understand what they're looking at. And it might be a lot higher than that. I, I always say that I believe that Satoshi's design for dollar parity was one penny Satoshi's. A penny worth of sat was dollar parity. And when I brought this up recently, somebody said, well, it's not going to stay there. Well, I didn't say it was going to stay there. The Bitcoin community referred to dollar parity that a Bitcoin hit $1. And I don't find that to be dollar parity. The reason I say one penny Satoshi's is dollar parity, one penny Satoshi's is exactly 
100% exactly matched to $1 million Bitcoin. And when you look at a Satoshi, there's 21 quadrillion Satoshis. And you're talking about creating a global monetary system, like for the whole world to use if it chooses to. You kind of have to get there for that to actually work out. And you start to realize that number is not even, that's not even pushing the realm of what's probable, let alone possible. And it, it's, it's very, very difficult for people to comprehend a lot of the things that I'm saying. But you're, you're, and Builder of Castles is talking about it here. And I, I, I think maybe the word utopian is not the right word. Oh, no. Un, uno, I can't pronounce that word. Uno, Batanium, right? But no one will trade Bitcoin for fiat before the next trough. Possible. What I think is more possible is more and more fiat will die. More and more fiat will, will become something people don't really want. Now, this actually top takes, you know, part of the plan and changes it, doesn't it? Like if you don't have a fiat world to interact with this, the whole Michael Saylor plan of buying, borrowing dollars collateralized by Bitcoin for your retirement doesn't work anymore. But at that point, it would be more important, right? Unobtainium. Okay. <laughs> Unobtainium. Maybe. Because there is a weakness. There is a weakness right now in the world of fiat money that we've never seen before. Um, I think... You really have to like let your mind grapple with the fact that it's something like we have like 31 trillion dollars of debt. 31 trillion dollars of US dollar debt that actually is backed by nothing. That actually, you know what it's backed by? It's backed by our military. And that looks like it's weakening and our position militarily is weakening. I'm speaking of the United States now, but every, everyone, around the world is, is is having the same problems that we are. The strongest currency on, on the planet right now is probably still the Russian ruble. It wasn't that long ago. I could definitely say that that was the case. And so we are in a place where the dollar's never been as, as weak, and I'm not talking about relative currency strength. The dollar's actually very powerful right now, historically speaking, against, let's say, the pound or the euro. So I don't mean relative currency strength, for those who understand what that word is, but I mean weak in... It's in a position that it's, it's, it's potential to hold on as the global economic reserve currency. There's never been a time that's been more at risk. And there's a whole lot of countries out there that, and many of them are, you know, we think of as friendly nations. So they're kind of pissed. They're kind of pissed because, you know, they all agreed to this, you know, Bretton Woods, Bretton Woods two, U.S. dollar hegemony, petrodollar system. And we kind of screwed the pooch on this. And there's a whole bunch of countries out there that use the United States dollar instead of a native currency. And when we inflate the currency with something like, oh, I don't know, a stimulus, and every American gets a check for two, three, four, five thousand bucks, a family, whatever it is, we got hurt, but we actually got some of the money. We got some of the inflation back. But if you're a small country that decided it was easier to use the dollar to try to stabilize your own currency, and we inflate your currency and you don't get any more, and you might be like, screw those people. You can think what you want. Those people are like, screw those people. Screw those Americans. We trusted the dollar as the most stable currency. 
And with a global reserve currency being the dollar, we're just, we're the reason, we're one of the reasons, the euro, right, the pound, et cetera, are weakening because we created inflation too. We created inflation for everybody. So we haven't ever been in this place before. And we certainly haven't been in this place with an ideal solution that Bitcoin represents. So will I discuss Bitcoin IRAs today? No. But there are episodes on Bitcoin IRAs. You can go to the BitcoinBreakout.com, put in IRA or 401k, and you will find stuff where I've discussed that. Uh, we're talking about stacking sats. A 401k and IRA is just a vehicle which holds the thing you're holding on to. I am a fan of them. I will say that. I have to keep going here. Um, but this is what's going to happen now. In a two years' time, there's going to be a whole lot of people saying, man, if I would have known... Bitcoin was 19,000, I would have bought a bunch of it. And the answer is, no, you wouldn't have. Because you didn't. And you do know. I, I don't think there's very many people that don't know about Bitcoin today. Certainly none of them that are listening to the show, right? But just don't know. There's something else that you guys got to stop using as an excuse. And I'm not talking about anybody individually here, but as a group within my audience. Well, I have to figure this out. No, you don't. Now, if you mean understand the investment, okay. But most of the time when I hear the terms, well, I have to figure this out. What they're saying is, since I don't understand how to buy or hold or send Bitcoin, I have to learn how to do that. You learn it by doing it. Go buy 50 bucks worth and put it in a wallet. You don't know what that is? Go read my Bitcoin tools page, the Bitcoin breakout forward slash tools. 50 bucks. If you lose it, it's, it's school. You probably won't. Figure out where you want to buy from. Do the crazy shit they make you do, like tell them who you are. Buy yourself 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Get a software wallet to start out. Exodus, Coinami, whatever. I don't care. It's 50 bucks. Send it from the exchange to yourself. Record your 12-word recovery phrase. Go to a different device. Install the wallet. Enter that 12-word phrase and recover your $50. Then you can stop telling me you need to figure it out, and you could have done all that in the amount of time it took you to write me the email telling me that you don't know how to do it. Because that is nothing but another excuse. And there's a tremendous amount of animosity in the space right now of what you call no-coiners, people with no Bitcoin. And the problem is they've tripled and quadrupled down. I completely agree with that, by the way. We'll get to that. Um, on this is a bad thing, this doesn't work, it's not going to make it. And if you had told these same people that in the middle of 2022, Bitcoin would be trading for around $20,000, and if you had told them that eight years ago, they would have started shrieking about tulips and telling you about Weimar Germany and bubble this and bubble that, and it never happened. If you told them that a small nation would have made it legal tender, they would tell you that would never happen. If you told them that you know billionaires would be arguing about it, then they would never freaking believe you. They would tell you, if that happens, man, if that happens, I'm in. But here it is, and they're not in because they've tripled, quadrupled, quintupled down. And uh, Nicole Sauce is saying, my 17-year-old mom has Bitcoin. Yeah, I remember watching her buy some one day. That was pretty cool. And it's not hard. It's not. If you can use PayPal, if you can use Stripe, uh, or you can use uh, Cash App, or anything like that, you can use Bitcoin. It's not that hard. Now, th there is a responsibility that comes with self-custody. 
We're not going to get deep into that today. But the fact you can self-custody is what makes it work the way that it works. That That's what makes it unstoppable, that you can have 100% self-custody. And I want to say something on that real quick here uh, because I want to talk about ways to stack as we finish up today. But I want to say something about this puritanical bullshit. Uh, I'm going to start out with TX River, T River Rats. Though. He says, take your crypto off exchanges, Celsius, anyone. I don't care about Celsius. Get your crypto off the exchange, period. The whole point of, of Bitcoin, I'm going to say Bitcoin, not crypto, dude. The whole point of Bitcoin is that you can hodl your Bitcoin with a hardware wallet or a software wallet or an air gap, whatever. You can possess it in a way that basically even if the government knew you had it, they said, well, you have Bitcoin. Fine, I do. Go get it. Well, you have to give it to us. Well, okay, take it. Well, give us your pass, you know, your, 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 your 12-word phrase. I forgot it. I lost in a boating accident, whatever. No, you can't have it. There's nothing you can do. You can't have it. That is the whole freaking point. But the Puritans will say, well, we shouldn't have a lightning network, no sort of mint banks. Like, it's only pure-to-pure cash, man. You know, Puritanism didn't work out well for the Puritans. So it's probably not going to work out well for you. If you have the best monetary asset that's ever been created, and that's what Bitcoin is, then there will be a banking system in time for it. And it doesn't mean you have to give up self-custody to participate in it. And what's being built is being built so that you don't. But it might be the case that it might make a lot of sense that people would want to work together in a way that they would need a trustless environment to leverage large amounts of capital for things like investments or things like group buying or things like paying bills back and forth with each other. Or what about creating a system that basically gives the right to capital without transferring the capital through smart contracts so no money actually exchanged hands to circumvent tax law? Yeah, shit like that. Will we do that? I don't know. I'm just saying you're looking at something we've never had before, programmable money. So if I have a supplier, okay, if I have a supplier that's that, that, that's providing me stuff, but I'm providing them something back in material goods, but there is a there needs to be a balancing when one has perpetrated more to the other. If there is a collateral in between, that B is not given to A and A is not given to B, but B and A have a right to each other's portion during that time, then we have secured the transaction without transferring the funds and there's no taxable event. There might be a re- there might be a reason that we want to do something like that in the future. I'm just saying. Right? You have no idea what can be built. So all of these things that are being built with layered technologies, the, and, and everybody that says this, they're never actually Bitcoiners. They're shitcoiners. They're followers of, of, of Roger Ver or Craig S. Wright or something like that. And none of these people that are ever spotting the shit run their own nodes anyway. They're all using freaking software wallets without running their own node. They have no idea what they're talking about. Of course you're going to have a banking system for the best monetary good that ever existed. It just doesn't look like the banking system you're used to. And you don't have to participate in it, and you can always self-custody. That's what's important. <laughs> Hobbit nuts, love it. FBI agent, where's your 12-word uh, key? Me, ask your wife. 
That's harsh, bro. Anyway, so let's start talking. What is the easiest ways to stack Bitcoin right now? I did a show last week, hardcore guy on total privacy, and I pointed out, like, there might be a case in the future for wanting to have Bitcoin that you can say, this is my Bitcoin and I can prove it, and it's it's clean Bitcoin, still self-custody. You still can't have it, but it is mine. And I am not opposed to KYC to buy Bitcoin. I'm really not. KYC is the banks. Well, you're using the bank's money. You're turning bank money into Bitcoin. So I'm all about selling private transactions, etc. But if you want to buy Bitcoin regularly for fiat, you're going to KYC. And I have a whole group of places that are available. The Bitcoin breakout forward, forward slash tools where you can see each one and what I recommend what's good and bad about them. And kind of the two that I think are really best suited for dollar cost averaging regular buy-ins are Swan Bitcoin. They're going to tie your Bitcoin up a little longer, but they're huge self-custody advocates. They will even allow you, takes a little bit of work, but once you set it up, you can, you can automate purchase and withdraws. And each withdraw goes to a new address on your hardware wallet. So they are, and they have, if you're doing large amounts of money, they have Swan Private, full service, great company. If you're the kind of person that just wants to completely be in charge of it for yourself, maybe you're an entrepreneur like me, you just look at your weekly uh, your weekly profit that you're going to pay yourself and say, yeah, I'm going to take 10% of that in DCA, strike. Strike works really well if you're buying less than a 1000 bucks a week. Most of you are going to buy less than a 1000 bucks a week, big time. All right, let me get rid of the porn spammer. Jeez. Okay, so those are my two kind of favorite for for uh, dollar cost averaging, automated buying, or just you know, manually buying. But I, I call it either BBEW or BBEM. Buy Bitcoin every week or buy Bitcoin every month. And I, I think a lot of people right now, they're really worried about, well, if I'm only buying a hundred bucks, then I'm never going to get to be a whole coiner. Maybe you won't. Maybe over time you'll buy more. I want you to understand just this fact alone. If every millionaire that existed in the United States right now wanted some Bitcoin and you evenly distributed it against all of them, They could all own about one-third of a Bitcoin, and all the Bitcoin that would ever be available would be gone. It's going to become more and more important. Hunter says $333 a day is $100 a month. And you can buy Bitcoin. I think about like five bucks worth of Bitcoin on Cash App. I don't even think there is a minimum on Strike. There's a point where it doesn't make sense, but you can, you can buy five or ten bucks worth of Bitcoin on Strike. I'm not going to get into how to transfer it today or anything The, this is part of the fundamental series for Bitcoin Breakout. If you go to the YouTube channel or the website and go to the fundamental series, I, I've covered all of that for those that are new and they want to learn how to do it. Um, but buy Bitcoin. Just buy a little bit or a lot. And right now, I mean, to me, gloves are off. People always tell me, oh, back up the truck. It's like, dude, you don't have a truck. But, like, if I have some extra capital this week, I will just throw it right in. And I'll say, yeah, I'll buy Bitcoin all the time, a little bit here, a little bit there. But when we're approaching all-time highs, I'm not buying as aggressively. When we're in a trough, I'm buying very, very aggressively. 
Weathered Soul says, I've been stacking $25 a week. And one day, Weathered Soul, somebody's going to tell you how lucky you are. How lucky you are when they could have done it too, but they didn't. Um, next, use products like the Fold app. I, I keep talking about the Fold app, and I want to really start explaining, especially combining this with it's never going to be easier than it is right now. This is my monthly server bill for the Survival Podcast. I pay a little over $700 a month for hosting for the Survival Podcast because you guys download it by the terabyte. And so I'm not going to be using some shared service, and I'm not going to allow myself to be subject to censorship with something like a SoundCloud or whatever. And I have been paying this bill about this amount. This is a recently upgraded the server. It went up a little bit. But I've been paying this bill for about 12 years of doing the show now. And I have to pay this bill every month. It doesn't matter how I pay it. I have to pay it. And so this month when I paid the bill, I ended up with over 42,000 sats back on my $700 bill. This week, I ordered the sausage from, I buy it from a, a, a chef named Tim Love. That's why this says love, love style. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing, guys. This is not an escort service, right? Uh, love style, lo, love bodega catering. Um, I had to buy over $800 worth of sausage on the, tw- on the spin. I got 2% back. I got 75,000 sats. So I was able to get 75,000 sats off that one purchase. I have to buy the things. I have to spend the money on the things. If I don't, then I don't, I can't feed my guests. I can't do my show. We pay our health insurance with this. We pay our electric bill with this. We paid off, I just paid off the challenger, used it for the last payment on this. We have, if we have work done on the property and the person takes a card, we do this. Any place that will take a Visa prepaid card, we use the fold card and we earn sats back. I've earned almost three million sats since I started using it about three months ago. And you learn to game that system. If you buy stuff on Amazon, and most of you do, and you're not using the Fold card and just buying Amazon gift cards in the in the Fold app and using the gift card to make your purchase on Amazon, it takes seconds to copy the code and drop it in your Amazon account. You're giving up 5% Cash back in Bitcoin on everything you buy on Amazon, period. And if you get a spin right, you can get six. You can do that for $500 a month. We had a big spend on Amazon this month leading up to the workshop for some stuff. So we ran it out, and I couldn't buy any more at the 5 6%. It went down to you get 2%. But I got on a spin. I got a 1% adder. I immediately said, hey, we're going to spend the money. Grab some more Amazon gift card, 3% back even after the big spend. Now, That's all extra Bitcoin. I, I, I really think that it's, it's hard for people to get their head around right now. I think a million sats is like a couple hundred bucks. Somebody can check that out. Let's say it's $200. So three million sats at 200 bucks, and I don't think it's quite that high, would be what? $600? To actually see that as being a significant thing into your future. There's going to be a day when somebody tells you they own 3 million sats. You're going to be like, holy shit. 
And so when I say there's never been an easier time than right now, that's what I mean, that you can get this type of free Satoshis with no real extra effort. Now, I will say the one thing about Fold, guys. It is kind of a pain in the ass when you first set it up to moving. So I was only off by four bucks. Tom says it's $204. So you got to, like, use ACH to move money in. You can use a debit card, what have you. Um You have to be creative. I had recently, I had to order something. Oh, it was the Love Bodega thing, right? So they only take PayPal. They don't take uh, Visa and MasterCard on the website when you order catering. And I need to email those people. I haven't heard from them yet. Uh, let me make sure that all gets taken care of. So what I did, because I learned this from Tom, who's here right now checking my math for me, right? Tom, my, my web guy. Um, I hooked up so that my fold card became a funding source to my PayPal account. So if somebody only takes PayPal, when I make the payment with PayPal, I choose the full card as a funding source, and I still get the sats back. So that one little hack right there made me an extra 75,000 sats this month. The ability to do that is not going to stay at this level right now for in, in through the next cycle. It's not. And I think you have... Almost all the way to the next cycle to capitalize on this. Here's a much smaller thing. But I keep telling you about Fountain. And I get people crying. I listened to three podcasts. And I didn't get any sets at all. And I don't even have time for your shit. You know, you're worried about a couple of nickels that you didn't get. You start using it to learn and become part of the Bitcoin economy. Go ahead and spend five bucks in your Cash App or Strike App and start tipping some of the podcasts you listen to. Send them value for value, stream success, learn how it works. The more active you are, the more you'll learn. Start making clips, and you start getting paid sats by other people. I paid out easy this week a 1,000 sats just in likes to clips that people made on my podcast. That could have been you. But right here um, in, in Fountain this morning, I opened it up to check on things, and lo and behold, Casa, who is a multi-signature, Uh, uh, service where you have three keys and you keep two and they have one as a backup and you need two to move the money so they can't move the money but if you lose one they have the other one to help you out uh, I got 41 sats to listen to their uh, commercial which was I think it was around a minute long that's not a lot of money 41 sats is like a penny but what if you make that extra 41 sats every day what if you make two or three of those every day And you do that across time. And you do that all through this this trough that we're in. And you should be doing more. But if that's all you can do, then that's what you do. Kelly S. says, are there options for people that are not in the USA? Fold is USA only. Uh, I don't know, but I bet there are. But Fold is USA only. I, I, I don't talk about things I don't have experience with, so I don't want to recommend a service that maybe is not as good. I think if you're a U.S. resident and you don't use Fold, You hate money. And if you listen to podcasts and you don't use Fountain, you hate money. And I don't just say that so you'll get involved and send sats my way. If you don't send me any sats, that's fine. But I think that when you start using sats as a monetary instrument, when you say, you know what? I really enjoyed listening to Cole Sauce today, and I'm going to send her 500 sats, and it sounds like a lot, but then you realize that's like, oh, I don't know, a few cents. You're like, yeah, or you send 5,000 and it's like a dollar right now. You're like, but I just transacted. And you start thinking not in Bitcoin, you start thinking in sats. 
And then you start to really understand this world. Next up, um, accept Bitcoin in your business. If you don't do this, you really hate money. I mean, you despise money. You are putting money repellent on your arms. every. You get up in the morning, you get your can of money repellent, you shake it up, and you spray it all over yourself. If you have a business and you have the ability to accept Bitcoin as payment and you don't do it, that's how bad you hate money. You don't deserve money, and money is going to fly away from you as fast as it can because you are simply not not taking advantage of an opportunity. Because this is something people still have a hard time understanding. There are people who will literally make a purchasing decision solely on the fact that one business takes Bitcoin and the other business does not. Anybody who has ever done that in this chat, tell me, just put me in the, in the, the thing right now. I'll see what comes up from that. I will tell you I have done it. And I don't even spend my Bitcoin. I've talked about this. This is another reason I love Strike. With Strike, I can deposit money, I can send dollars, and the other side gets Bitcoin. So if I'm somewhere and I ask the question, do you take Bitcoin? Yes, I do. How much is this going to cost me? They tell me I deposit that exact amount of money in seconds for my bank account, and then I hit the little scan thing, and I go, whoop, and boom, they've got Bitcoin inbound on chain or lightning, their choice. So... What I'm telling you, people that own businesses, and there's three out of 78 so far. Me, me, me. Hobbit Nuts, Living Free in Tennessee, and Infopocalypse have spent their money with somebody over somebody else only because they, they, they took Bitcoin and the other side didn't. I will also tell you, I have spent money, and I know people have spent money with me for my membership that say I only bought it or I only spent it because you take Bitcoin. The fact that I see you participating in the Bitcoin economy made me dig around, scrounge around a little bit and say, yeah, I don't really need that thing, but I'll buy it. So you are not just not obtaining Bitcoin when you could be. You are turning your back on something called incremental revenue. Businesses that turn their back on incremental revenue long enough go broke. Never turn your back on incremental revenue in any form unless it's unethical. And that's what you're doing. You're saying there's a segment of the society that will do business with you only because you put the little uh, orange B up. I, I don't want that money. I don't want your money. It's a mistake. Don't do it. We got four now. That's a pretty significant hit there. And I bet you if I said how many people in this group of 80 own a business, it's less than half. So that means, you know, 10%. I'm saying, like, it is time to start thinking differently about this. So, DCA, buy Bitcoin every week or every month, use products like the Fold app, the Fountain app, and accept Bitcoin into your business. And if you do side hustle stuff, always ask, hey, do you want to pay in Bitcoin? And then be smart about it too, right? So I have a handyman do some work here the other day. He, he doesn't want to take Bitcoin. But if, if I would have said to him, do you want to take Bitcoin? He said, you know, I, I do, but I have to go buy $50 worth of shit. Well, how much is it going to be? 150 bucks. You want $100 worth of Bitcoin and $50 worth of cash? Do you want $100 in cash and $50 in Bitcoin? I'll do either one. I will always be flexible on the payment side. And so when you have a hard cost that you need to recoup with fiat, ask the person paying if they'll split the payments. I did it with Nicole just to make a point. At a live presentation, I paid her partly in Lightning, partly on regular Bitcoin, and partly in fiat, all from the strikeout. 
It was kind of, and we did all three of the transactions, I think, in like 45 seconds or something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nicole. And it was cool. Like we split, here's some lightning, here's some on-chain, here's some fiat strike to strike. Learn how to do this stuff because it's going to become more important. Go check out some of the videos right now of, of people in China running up and trying to scan QR codes and try to get access to things or money and, and not getting it because their QR code is the wrong color. You better learn your ass to self-custody. Other steps to take. Continue to learn more about the monetary system and Bitcoin as a whole. Both. Bitcoin is a thing that you think you understand. And the first time you think you understand Bitcoin And I mean, you really think you understand it. You realize you're all the way at the top of the Dunning-Kruger curve. You're all the way at the top. The Dunning-Kruger is where the least, least time and the least experience you have, the more confidence you have in your expertise and the stupider you are. And so you are at the peak of Dunning-Kruger when you say, I understand it the first time. And at that point, to be fair to you, you probably understand it better than 99% of people in the world. But you still have no idea what you've really opened up. It's that big of a thing. There's so many components to Bitcoin. That's why I'm a huge fan of what Robert Breedlove did with Michael Saylor with the Saylor series. First episode doesn't even have anything to do with Bitcoin directly. It has to do with history, the history of humankind and engineering and militaries. And it took, it like you have to realize you have to go on this incredible journey to really begin to understand what Bitcoin's all about. So you continue that journey. Please listen to my shows on Bitcoin, the great guests that I bring in. Mention Robert Breedlove. We're bringing him in next month for an interview. Uh, he had to reschedule last month when we had him scheduled. Um, keep listening to Guy Swan, Bitcoin Audible. That is, I, I would tell you, if you're learning and you really are just beginning, you go back to the beginning of Bitcoin Audible and listen all the way through. And if you get to one that, like, this is too deep, skip it. And then, you know, set a reminder to go back to it a little bit longer from now. Uh, but keep learning. But then the other side is keep learning about the fiat system. If all you think is, well, they just print money with a money printer, you don't understand the fiat system. Well, the fiat system is so much more than the Federal Reserve printing money. It's the banks printing money. But it's also the ability to inflate the supply at will and confiscate wealth at will. And it's the ability to fund war at will. It's the ab ability to fund all the things you hate at will, against your will, while you pay taxes, but yet they're confiscating your wealth through inflation on the back end. And I don't want to go much deeper into it, but I would tell you that Safe Dean's two books, The Fiat Standard and The Bitcoin Standard. He wrote The Bitcoin Standard first and The Fiat Standard second. I would read The Bitcoin, uh, the Fiat Standard first. And I think, I think Safe, Safe Dean realized when he wrote the Bitcoin standard, wait a minute, I really left a lot out of the why. And I think if he could do it again, he might have flipped those around. And I think both of them are available for like free audio on, on YouTube too, where you can listen to them. So I would definitely just keep studying because the more you understand, the more confident you'll be. You'll understand like, you'll think, why does this guy that's a survivalist? He's supposed to know about rubbing sticks together and shit. Why does he believe in this magic internet money? Why does he believe in this vaporware? Because I understand it. People are like, well, will you buy Bitcoin when? Yes. But you didn't, I don't need to know. Will you sell Bitcoin? No. But what if the government, I don't care. But what if I don't care? And the reason I don't care is because 
I've taken the time and I've had that humility moment of thinking I knew what was going on and not knowing and taking this journey now, which for me is almost 10 years. And at that point, you, you can't, you can't unknow what you know. So stay on that journey because it'll make you consistent. If you had taken this journey, you would have turned this episode off probably already. Unless you just like listening to me. Because you'd be like, well, by the trough. Yeah, I'm doing that. Totally, Spirit Go. I'll, I'll catch you next week. Right? If you understand what I'm talking about today, that's what you're doing right now. You're like, this is the greatest thing ever. You're doing what I'm doing every day. You wake up, and instead, you're, you're thinking completely the opposite of the average retail buyer, investor in Bitcoin. Those are the people that when Bitcoin was 42,000 on the way up, they woke up every morning and go, I hope it's more. I hope it's more. I hope it's more. Oh, it went up three more percent. Yeah. Right? You're totally I wake up every morning and go, please, please go down. Please. I know this is a limited time. Please go to 14. Please go to nine. I don't care. It makes me think way, way back at the beginning of the show, before I knew anything about Bitcoin, somebody asked me, like, what would you do if silver went to $3 an ounce? I said, I'd be dancing naked on my roof. That's what I would be right after I put my order in. Well, if Bitcoin went down to 10 grand, I'm putting a big order in and I'm going to go dance naked on my roof. Are you thinking contrary to the average person? When you do, you can't fail with this strategy. So keep learning. Get involved with a local meetup. And I've heard from people, well, I checked, Jack, and there isn't a local meetup. If you live in the Fort Worth area, I want you right now to go to meetup.com and search for Fort Bitcoin. And I want you to join the meetup that I'm part of. This is not my meetup. I didn't start it. It was set up by Petro. And he's a really cool dude. Uh, he's actually going to be on the show uh, not about meetups initially, with a really cool episode coming this month. But he started this group, and there's 190 members now. So you look at that, and you go, well, that's probably been around for a while. We just had our one-year anniversary. And there's new people joining the group every freaking month. I've, I've been cool. I've started to see people that I know from the audience coming to the meetups. They have a really great one coming up uh, in, in in November, uh, Lightning Day. It's a, it's a much bigger thing than a typical one. I can't go because the week of November the 8th, obviously, that's a Tuesday leading into the 9th, which begins my, uh, my workshop. But you know, th this gentleman just started the meetup, put it out there, and it's grown into something. And the reason I think meetups are so important, the first one we went to, my wife thought it was going to be boring. She thought we were going to sit down and they were going to talk about all kinds of crap like she hears me talk about all the time. Wallets, self-custody, everything. And all we did, we went to this really cool freaking bar. This look, it's a, it, it's a it's speakeasy thing. It's not really a speakeasy because you don't have to have it anymore. It's a speakeasy vibe. It looks like a rundown closed bookstore. And it is a badass bar. And we met a bunch of cool people. We had some nice drinks and we talked and we got to know each other. So it was, you know, knowing the Bitcoiner beyond the fact that they have Bitcoin. And we look forward to going to them now. And that way you start to build a network and you know people that know about certain things that you want to know more about. Because you're only you can, you can, I mean, we, we probably will do some like sit down presentation once they did another one of those. Uh, I think it was at SMU. I couldn't get to that one either, but I, I like just hanging out with Bitcoiners. You, you, you start to realize that this is really something different. 
And you, again, there's power in networks. And so we're talking about a macro network in the Bitcoin network, but the micro network is your local network of Bitcoiners. Get involved with them. And consistently ask yourself one question when you're saying, do I really get involved with this thing now, Jack? You know, you got in back when Bitcoin was 300 bucks or so. It's easy for you to say that. Yeah, but I bought Bitcoin yesterday. And I'll probably buy some Bitcoin before the weekends again. And I bought Bitcoin when it was 40,000. I bought a little bit in the 50s. I don't think I really bought any in the 60s. I think I, like, I'm not sure about this now, right? I want to hold some, like, even if it keeps going up, there'll be a dip. But I bought it all the way back down. I bought it then again in the 50s. I bought it in the 40s. I bought it in the 30s. I bought it in the 20s. I bought it in the teens. I bought it back in the 20s. I bought it in the teens. Just keep buying it. And there's a reason. I asked myself a simple question. What do, what do I trust more? Math and code or human beings who seek power? Which one of those do I trust more? Do I trust a network of hundreds of thousands of computers with enforced rules based on code and self-interest? Or do I trust people that have the power that hurts others when they use it and benefits when they, they benefits them and their friends when they use it. The Cantillon effect. Which one do I trust more? I wouldn't. Here's the big thing about the ability to print money at will. Being an ethical man, I wouldn't trust myself with the power of the central bank. There's certain things that if you said, I'll give you the power, like you were a Q from Star Trek, right? Not QAnon, but Q from Star Trek. And he said, I will give you any power you wish for. And if you offered me certain powers, I would say, I can't be trusted with that power. No, how, no matter how good my intentions, when that power has been bestowed upon me, the power itself across time will corrupt me. So the entire monetary system that people say they don't trust, but they do. If you keep all your money in dollars... And stocks are dollars, okay? If you keep all your money in dollars, you're trusting the dollar. That's your state. I trust the dollar. Well, I don't, but you do. Do you have a bank account? Yeah. Do you have a bank account that's not empty at the end of the month? Like do you have savings? Do you have investments? Do you have CDs? Do you have an IRA, a 401k, what have you? Yeah. Is it denominated in dollars? Yeah. You trust dollars. You're trusting dollars. Now, I'm not getting rid of my dollars. I'm not that guy, right? But I don't trust them. I find them a useful tool for the time, and I will continue to use them as they make sense as that tool. But I trust the Bitcoin network because I don't have to trust it, because I can verify it, because I can run my own node, and I know the state of the network at any given time. And when you understand that, you're kind of done with this whole tulip mania nonsense. You have, how do you get more tulips, by the way, for the tulip mania people that are still around or any of those, any of you guys here? I don't know how many snipers have left, but I used to get some snipers in the, these live streams for Bitcoin. They, they're not here anymore. How do you get more tulips, guys? You take the tulip bulb and you put it in the ground and you grow it and it divides. So literally every bulb you buy turns into more bulbs. How do you get more Bitcoin? How do you get more Bitcoin? And there, there is an answer. 
You personally, how do you get more Bitcoin? You expend energy for it. Well, I can just buy it. Where'd you get the money? The money is energy. I inherited it from my great uncle who I didn't even know existed. Somebody expended energy for it. Somebody transferred energy to you and you tendered energy for it. If you're a miner, you tender energy for the right to certify blocks. It's a, there's a cost of production in energy. And so if any person who compares tulip mania, which by the way lasted for like a year, right? To Bitcoin, which is now in like its 12th year or 13th year, 14, 14 years, 14 years from the white paper, 14 years. Doesn't know anything about anything. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If you did and you want to throw some sats my way, remember the best way to listen to the survival podcast and the Bitcoin breakout is on fountain.fm. And you can earn some Bitcoin and share some Bitcoin. I want to say thank you again. Uh, Bitcoin Breakout is kind of a, a segment of the Survival Podcast. I think we were only number 40. This is our breakout segment. But the Survival Podcast is, again, this week, the number one supported podcast on the Fountain Hot Charts. So we have once again finished ahead of Adam Curry and Marty Bent. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, so thanks to all of you that did that. And remember, you can earn some stats while you're there, there's a lot of other ways to support us, but I want to, uh, I want to answer a few questions here right now. Does the fold card affect your credit score like a credit card from Hobbit Nuts? The answer is absolutely not because it's not a credit card. It is a prepaid debit card. So it does not affect your credit score. Though I do think they actually do run your credit when they issue it for you, but it's not like you have to have a super credit score or something. It is because there is some level of risk associated. I, I don't really, ACH, some shit like that. But, no, it doesn't affect your credit score because uh, it's not credit. Uh, I will say that Fold is going to be introducing soon, supposedly, according to my contact there, a credit card. So you can have both, and I think that will be beneficial uh, when it comes to people like me that have a lot of frequency, and sometimes there's a lag to get funding in, and sometimes I actually don't pay a bill because we've not properly preloaded the card, and it takes time to get that money on board. Uh, Scoot says, it seems like Bitcoin is starting to lose correlation with the stock market. Yeah, it does. It does. Now, I will say one thing that mitigates that, because I don't like to overly sell anything, is that the stock market is being judged on, like, the big five of tech right now, as, as opposed to the entire index. But, yeah, the whole index has taken it into pants pretty hard. Another thing I said this week was that a lot of these people that say Bitcoin isn't an inflation has, they're going to look really stupid five years from now. And they will. Um, the lack of correlation actually is the beginning of the separation, I believe. Now, but to be careful because we've had times where people in the industry like myself have thought we're in that decoupling before, but I, I think we can't help but begin the decoupling. The question is how long does this take? Um, you know, people talk about it being the fall of Rome. I always say go look up when Rome began to fall and when Rome really fell. It's centuries. It's centuries. It takes a long time for an entrenched monetary system to change. But in the words of uh, Hemingway, I think it will be gradually, then suddenly. But that's that's a good observation there. Uh, Mike V says, I sold all my $60,000 Bitcoin at twenty k and bought it back plus more 
at 18K. Small guy, there's actually a strategy there. You know, I said don't don't buy high and sell low. In the world of securities and stocks and things like that, we have a thing called the wash rule. And this is to prevent capturing losses with zero risk, right? So let's say I bought Ford Motor Company. I don't know what Ford Motor Company is selling at, so I'm going to just make up round numbers here. Let's say Ford was trading at 20 bucks a share. And I'm like, I think that's a pretty good buy. So I bought a bunch of Ford stock. Let's say I bought 20,000 shares, $20,000 worth of Ford stock. And uh, I'm getting toward the end of my tax year. And I look, and Ford's trading at 10 bucks. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't really care. I didn't buy it for the short term anyway. I bought it for long-term holdings. It's a dividend-producing stock. I want to hold this for 20 years. Well, wouldn't I be really tempted, and I mean highly tempted, if there was no law that said I couldn't, to sell the stock at a, at a 50% loss and record a $10,000 loss that tax year, and then just turn around the next day and buy it back. And if there's a few pennies lost here or there with trading fees or it swung a little, it swung 20 cents up or something, that's a wash, it's fine. I basically re-entered my position. Yeah? Like, wouldn't that be really tempting? Don't you think, like, rich guys with lots of money in stocks would do that shit all the time if they could? And the thing is, the government doesn't like that strategy. It doesn't benefit them. So they created a thing called the wash rule. And I think it's 30 days. It might be 90. Don't, that's why I have a financial investment manager, right? But there's a time period. If I sell a particular security, I can't buy it back and capture the loss until I wait that long, which that price could go anywhere in that duration. But with Bitcoin, there is no wash rule. They say you must report any tax, taxable transaction, including a loss. You must do it. You're required, citizen. So if you bought Bitcoin at 60 grand and you sell it at 20, you take a $40,000 loss per Bitcoin. And you can turn right around and buy it back. Right around and buy it back and you capture that loss. And therefore, you pay less tax on that tax year. Now, there's a limit to how much you can take as a capital loss across time. But that's a question for your tax attorney or CPA, right? But that's definitely... A strategy. Does Bitcoin depend heavily on the Fed printing fiat to increase in value? No, it does not. Now, is it beneficial to it? Sure. The more the more faith is lost in fiat, the more people turn to an alternative, and the best alternative out there right now is is Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is more about a supply and demand and cost of production than it is about a direct correlation to, to fiat inflation. Hobbinut says, what do you think about staking crypto, exit of staking? Well, here's my thing on crypto. I don't really do that anymore, and I know for years I did, so some of you might be mad at me. I have pretty much turned my back on everything I call a shitcoin. If you want to stake an alt currency like a Cosmos or something like that, then yes, you can do that through Exodus. And, and I've done it, and it works. I'm just, I'm done with the word crypto. I don't like using the word crypto. Um, it's very hard for me to, it's very hard for me to, at this point, say anything good 
about any of the things we call altcoins or anything like that. It's not that they they're, it's like gambling. You, of course, you can make money on them, right? But their use case scenario long term to me is dead. And even though some of them actually do some interesting things and might make it as some form of technology, when there's a space that 99% is scam garbage, it's hard for me from a position where somebody might do what I say and thinking about it that way to recommend they even touch it. You're all grown men and women. You do what you want, but I won't be staking because, well... Bitcoin, we don't do that with it. It's property that we hold. Um, I also think that staking is fiat. A stake, a proof of stake network means the person with the most money gets the most say. If your coin of choice has a CEO, you are not decentralized. If there is a small group of people that can change the code at will with no check, you're not decentralized. If the government could send a cease and desist letter to an address and enforce it on the coin that you're choosing, you are not decentralized. And so 99% of the, the, the cryptos out there that use the word decentralized are not. There are some decentralized alternative currencies that I would legitimately con consider decentralized. I won't name them because then people will think that's an endorsement to go buy them. Um, but I, I am not personally going to recommend that anybody stake anything anymore. All right. So one more I'm going to take. Foldapp is currently giving out an additional 1%. Not sure why extra Amazon gift cards are giving 6%. Jeff, you probably won that point and you didn't know it. So when you, when you make a transaction with Fold, you have some choices to make. You have a certain number of spins at any given time. They give you new spins every day and they, they run out after a certain amount of time. And you could say, I just want 1% flat rate, or I want to spin the wheel. I almost always spin the wheel, and it almost always benefits me. Sometimes you spin the wheel, you get that extra 1%. You have like, and if you buy a gift card in the next, um, the next 24 hours, you get one extra point. And so that's probably why you're getting 6%, Jeff. And if, you, if you're going to spend money on Amazon this month, I would capitalize on that before it expires, because it is a time-sensitive thing that you went on a wheel spin, and that's probably why that's going on. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed things today. I do want to wrap things up now. If you are listening to this on any of the, the podcast networks, whether it's the Podcasting 2.0 or iTunes or Spotify or anything, and you found the Bitcoin breakout, you're like, I want to listen to this because it's about Bitcoin. Consider checking out the rest of the stuff we do at the Survival Podcast. Uh, yesterday we did an episode just on why building a business is hard and it should be. Uh, we'll probably be talking, oh, what are we going to be talking about tomorrow? We're going to be talking about building a house in the post-COVID era from a purely DIY point of view with no construction loan and only a moderate amount of actual construction experience. So we're about a guy that pretty much, other than maybe pouring a foundation, built his own house from scratch out of pocket in the post-COVID world. So that's the kind of stuff we talk about, real sovereignty, guys. Um, last but not least, do consider doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's all I'll say about that today because I want to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, since I did a two-hour show with uh, John and Nicole today, I'm at like three and a half hours right now, almost nonstop. So I need to get things wrapped up and published out for you guys. If you have somebody that you would like to hear 
on the Bitcoin breakout. And don't say Michael Saylor, I've asked. He doesn't respond. If you know somebody that would make a good guest on this show, especially somebody that's not a Jack Maulers or a Michael Saylor, somebody that's building technology, somebody that's doing cool shit in the world of Bitcoin, those are the people I want to talk about. We can have anybody be grandiose to make big statements anytime, anywhere. It's not as important as nuts and bolts. Ask them to apply to be a guest. Just go to the BitcoinBreakout.com. You'll see a tab that says Guests. Click on that. Fill that form out completely. That's your pitch. Or have them do it. Don't do it for them. Because then I'm contacting somebody, and I don't know what's going on, and I think they asked me on, and, you know, it, it, it makes problems. I'll just say that. Um, I would love to have more people on, people that are building things on layered applications. I would love to have someone come on that really understands Fediments. I think that would be a really interesting discussion. I have some ideas. I'd like to know if they're feasible. If you know somebody that you want to see come on, let me know. Uh, Flirting with Bitcoin, I've, I've heard them. on. If, if they want to come on, fill out a form. Come on. I'm not hard to get on the air with. A lot of people think that we are because we've been around so long and we've had so many big-name people. I like to tell people's stories. I like to hear from the average person in, in not just Bitcoin, like in prepping. In, in permaculture, in homeschooling, because that's who's tuning in, right? If you want to hear Michael Saylor, you can go listen to a speech anytime you want on YouTube. But when I can get somebody on here that's like, we're building a thing that does this, and here's how it's going to work, and we have some cool stuff coming up like that. But if you know somebody, let us know. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another episode of the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout. They gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you